0: From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker.
1: And I'm Jennifer Schott, budget and appropriations reporter.
0: And Happy New Year. This is our first podcast for the new year. The 117th Congress has convened, and the first thing they do in any new Congress is approve Rules in the House for how to govern. They did that this week, and that's what we want to talk about today because the new rules have some budget implications, which were kind of interesting. Uh, And the main thing they did, Jen, was make two big exemptions from fiscal constraints for two big programs uh, coronavirus aid and climate change.
1: Right. So these are what some in the Democratic Party consider pretty significant changes to how Democrats bring legislation to the floor. So the new rules would sort of alter something referred to as -as pay-as-you-go rules or pay-go rules, which in democratic in the Democratic Party in the House say that if you're bringing up legislation that Um, increases the deficit, you have to pay for that somehow. Um, And so that is something that has been kind of a hallmark for the Democratic Party in the House for quite some time now. And so this new rule would exempt climate change legislation and coronavirus aid bills uh, from that sort of pay-as-you-go rule uh, by allowing the House budget chairman um, to sort of adjust cost estimates Um, for those bills so that um, any deficit increases they might have wouldn't um, sort of count under House rules, uh, which is a really fascinating change and gives us a kind of look at where Democrats are planning to bring um, maybe costly or high price tag items to the floor during this Congress. And they clearly think that that's going to be happening with climate change legislation and with coronavirus aid.
0: Yeah, and to me, uh, exempting coronavirus aid to me is not a big surprise because they've passed trillions of dollars already in coronavirus aid that they just simply count as emergency spending that is exempt from these, these pay-as-you-go rules already. Uh, and they can all argue it's, it's an emergency, it's a pandemic, we have to respond, we can't worry about the deficit while we deal with the pandemic. They've already sort of set a precedent for that. Uh, the surprising thing to me, and I think where this becomes more important in terms of the rules, is the climate change piece, right? Because all of a sudden, any climate change legislation they may come up with is now exempt from deficit limits. Uh, that's kind of a big deal, or it could be a big deal, uh, because you know one of the things that both parties have talked about doing this Congress, of course, is a is a big infrastructure package, which never got done last year. They've been trying to do it for a while now, but who knows if under a President Biden, uh, they make a go of that to, to help with economic recovery. Uh, and if they did a big infrastructure package, uh, that has a lot of climate change elements in it, or at least the proposals we've seen so far have a lot of those kind of... Uh, clean energy type of provisions in it that would qualify uh, to help with climate change. And so then the question becomes, do they consider the whole infrastructure package climate change legislation? Because if they do, that means that a trillion-dollar package on infrastructure or more, or $2 trillion, whatever it ends up being if they go that high, could now be exempt from, from any concerns about the deficit, just, just as trillions of dollars in coronavirus aid would be exempt from the deficit. Kind of a big deal. It, it uh, allows them to spend a lot more money more easily.
1: Yeah, but I think one important thing to point out here is that this change to House rules for uh, the Democratic majority, which is still in control this doesn't eliminate the Congressional Budget Office producing what we refer to as scores for bills coming to the floor. So we'll still get to see how much legislation costs. And it doesn't eliminate the ability for Democrats or Republicans to debate the cost of legislation on the floor. It's not like this is somehow going to completely stop discussions about how much legislation costs or the debt and the deficit on the House floor or even in committee, that's still all going to take place. This just might make it slightly easier for Democratic leaders to bring high-cost legislation to the floor itself.
0: Right. That's a good point. And of course, it it doesn't guarantee at all that 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 kind of major legislation can get passed and it would still have to pass the Senate where you need 60 votes to advance legislation. And we don't know yet who's going to, which party will control the Senate, but neither party is going to have 60 votes. We know that. Uh, so we're still talking about the need for a uh, bipartisan deals to get done to pass any of these major provisions, but it does show um, it does show how Democrats are eager to get some of this stuff going uh, by loosening the fiscal restraints a little bit, making it a little easier to take these measures to the floor at least uh, without having to, to worry about, about all the uh, green eye shade accounting that comes from tra- making sure bills are budget neutral, so to speak, or, or not, not going to increase the deficit.
1: But that debate is still going to take place. It's not like it's going to disappear. And we heard from moderate Democrats yesterday in the what's well, called the Blue Dog Coalition um, that they are going to be paying very close attention to the legislation that House leaders bring to the floor, especially on climate change, and really trying to sort of request or sort of demand maybe in some situations that this legislation is sort of budget neutral or as budget neutral as it can be.
0: Yeah, I thought that was also interesting. Um, Our colleague Paul Krozak reported on this yesterday uh, that this this rules change really, really uh, showed an interesting split among Democrats in the House over fiscal policy because now you've got this tension Uh, between the the moderate blue dogs and the progressive wing. And as you said, the blue dogs were concerned enough that they sent a letter to the House Budget Chairman saying, hey, you have this new power to exempt these things, but take it easy. Don't go overboard. We're going to be watching you, was the message they were essentially sending. And then you had the progressives who wanted to really abolish pay-as-you-go rules entirely they really want to throw off all the fiscal restraints to allow for major spending legislation. And so, so this was sort of a compromise position in when the House adopted these new rules because on the one hand, they were keeping their pay-as-you-go rule overall. But on the other hand, they were making these two big exemptions to it, um, trying, to, trying to find a middle ground here between the two wings of the party. Uh, and so I think you're going to see that tension continue this year and play out as, as there's more and more pressure for, for major spending packages.
1: Yeah, this is something we've seen in the past two years after Democrats took over control of the house, uh, following the 2018 elections that progressive Democrats want significantly different, um, you know, priorities on tax and spending legislation than moderate Democrats want. And so that's going to be That's always been sort of a thin line for House Democratic leadership to walk in terms of drafting legislation and which bills they bring to the floor and which bills sort of just die in committee. But that's going to be a particularly hard uh, sort of compromise to reach on lots of pieces of legislation during the 117th Congress, because, of course, Democrats have this extremely narrow majority in the House. So they're going to need to keep their progressives and their moderates, as well as everyone in between, happy on legislation if it has any chance of passing the House floor uh, without Republican support, which is typically what we see from House bills, right? Typically, whoever is in the majority party, whether it be Republicans or Democrats, uh, brings up legislation that's typically leaned towards their party's belief system. Right. Right. And so that's pretty common in the House, right? Whereas the Senate typically brings bipartisan legislation to the floor because of their 60-vote cloture threshold. And so, you know, in the House, when Democrats are looking at their legislative agenda for the next two years, they're really going to have to be thinking about what makes progressives happy and what makes moderates happy. And the Venn diagram on that is not particularly large, especially when you start to look at all of the issues that could come out when House Budget Committee Chairman John Yarmuth uh, Democrat of Kentucky starts drafting the fiscal year 2022 budget resolution, you know, he's been very frank uh, with me and others that this is going to be a, a really challenging endeavor uh, in terms of, you know, drafting this and marking it up in committee. And he's not entirely confident at this point in time that he can even get a budget resolution across the House floor because of, you know, all of the broad kind of big picture uh, policy items that you have to put in a budget resolution.
0: Right. And we should say, of course, that these rules were were adopted on a strictly party-line vote, and it was a reminder of just how closely divided the House is going to be this year. The vote was 217 in favor and 206 opposed. Pretty tight margin, and that's what we're going to see a lot of this year because – uh, Democrats hold the majority, but not by much. It's pretty razor thin. And of course, Republicans marched in lockstep against these rules. And rules are usually a partisan affair. Neither party likes the rules of the other party. And so um, it, it's always a strictly party vote. But Republicans, of course, uh, blasted these rules, including these budget exemptions, and said that This was an attempt by Democrats to ram through a socialist agenda, including the Green New Deal, and, you know, because you don't have to worry about the cost anymore, uh, it'll be no holds barred, and we'll have the Green New Deal and all of that, which, of course, that's not what House leaders say, but that'll be the debate, and and it's going to be, we're going to see a lot of tight margins.
1: Yeah. And I think looking towards the you know 2022 midterm elections, Democratic leaders are going to be very focused on moderate Democrats um, and what votes they're forcing moderate Democrats to put on the record on what legislation, because obviously Democratic leaders did not expect to lose seats in the House in this election. Um, and when Republicans picked up seats and sort of you know, swing districts, that was really kind of surprising to a lot of people, uh, Democrats and some Republicans alike. And so heading into 2022, making sure that Democrats are trying to preserve as many of those moderate or swing states as they can to keep their majority is going to be a really important uh, point for them to make, as well as trying to pick up seats from moderate Republicans. And so I think in terms of trying to balance between between moderates and progressives, you know, you know, your progressive seats are always safe. And so I think, you know, in terms of looking ahead to trying to preserve, if you're a democratic leader, you want to preserve the house majority for your party. And so then moderate voices, including those in the blue dog coalition on budget issues and sort of, you know, quote unquote, fiscal responsibility, I think are going to be really kind of paramount or uh, to what legislation comes to the house floor.
0: And we should always keep in mind that these are rules, but rules can always be waived. They do it all the time. So we don't want to overinterpret how significant um, these rules may be for the budget process in the coming year. Uh, the pay-as-you-go rule, which Democrats are proud of, also get waived a lot, waived a lot when needed, as in the case of coronavirus aid. Um, so Rules only go so far, and ultimately what matters is what kind of bipartisan deals get crafted to push major spending legislation uh, to passage. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker.
1: And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter.
0: You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be should to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week.